Coming up on Philosophy Talk. Is this the right one for an argument? How to disagree humbly. I've told you once. <laughs> no, you haven't. Yes, I have. When? Just now. No, you didn't. Yes, I did. Didn't. I did. I didn't. I'm telling you, I did. You did not. Oh, I'm sorry, is this a five-minute argument or the full half hour? If someone disagrees with you, should you be a little less confident about your position? If someone disagrees with you, does that mean you should reconsider your position? If someone disagrees with you, doesn't that just mean they're wrong? No, this isn't an argument. Yes, it is. No, it isn't. It's just contradiction. No, it isn't. Yes, it is. It is not. It is. <laughs> you just contradicted me. No, I didn't. Oh, you did. How do you distinguish reasonable disagreement from mere stubbornness? Can we be humble without being pushovers? Our guest is Nathan Ballantyne from Fordham University. How to disagree humbly. How about enough of this? There you have it. Oh, shut up. Coming up on Philosophy Talk. We hope you enjoyed this episode of Philosophy Talk. Stay up to date with the program and get our monthly newsletter by texting the word philosophy to 22828. That's 22828. And to get our weekly podcast, become a partner in our community of thinkers at philosophytalk.org. Thank you for listening. And thank you for thinking. Should you cling to your beliefs even when others disagree? Or should you reconsider them when they're challenged? Is it possible to disagree without being disagreeable? Welcome to Philosophy Talk, the program that questions everything except your intelligence. I'm Ken Taylor. And I'm Josh Landy. We're here at the studios of KALW San Francisco. Continuing conversations that begin at Philosopher's Corner on the Stanford campus, where I teach philosophy and Josh directs the Philosophy and Literature Initiative. Today it's How to Disagree Humbly. Another episode in our ongoing series on intellectual humility. I think this is a vitally urgent uh, topic, uh, Josh, because these days people too often try to shut up or shout down those who disagree with them. Okay, but I, I think it's always been that way, Ken. I mean, I think about Cain and Abel, right? I mean, they, they disagree over some silly sacrifice, uh, and then they forget to go to family therapy, well, and, you okay. know, a disaster ensues. I, 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 take, I take your point, but that just shows... The continuing importance of learning to disagree agreeably. Otherwise, yeah, we'll end up like Cain and Abel killing each other. Well, nonetheless, come on. Diversity of thought and opinion are good things, aren't they? And, and look, you can't force people to agree. So disagreement's just going to remain a part of human life. Well, okay, I agree with that too, but I just shows that there's all the more reason we need better ways of dealing with disagreement since it's a permanent fact of life. Well, so what kind of ways do you have in mind? Well, let's just start out with something pretty simple, maybe obvious, like when other people disagree with you, you should at least consider the possibility, however briefly, that maybe you're the one who's got it wrong. Come on, Ken. You believe in the theory of evolution, don't you? Oh, well, of course I do. Why do uh, you ask? Well, so what happens when you hear a creationist rejecting that theory? I mean, do you really start considering the possibility that maybe you're the one who's wrong? <laughs> of course not, Josh. Well, so what does that make you, a hypocrite? No, Josh, you're taking it what I'm saying in the wrong way. I'm not saying that you should question your beliefs whenever some random know-nothing disagrees. I I'm talking about the, the disagreements among reasonable well-informed people. That's what you should pay attention to. Okay, and by reasonable and well-informed, you mean people who agree with you. No, Josh, come on. No, that's not what I mean. I'm talking about 
uh, you know, people who have their beliefs, base their beliefs on like evidence, who care about things like truth, who who aren't prone to wishful thinking, who think logically, you know, people like you and me. All right. So people don't have to share your beliefs. No. But no. apparently they have to share your habits of mind. That's not very humble of you, Ken. I don't, I don't see anything wrong with that, Josh. What's wrong with that? Well, look, here's the problem. I mean, you know, you seem to think that you can determine in advance whose beliefs are worth taking seriously and whose are not. I, you know, that's, that's intellectual snobbery. Well, it's not intellectual snobbery. I mean, if you're totally unwilling to divide people into the reasonable and the unreasonable, how are you ever going to avoid having to listen to every Tom or Tina with a dissenting opinion? I, I just think you're having trying to have it both ways, Ken. I, you know, be willing to reconsider in the face of disagreement, but don't listen to anybody who comes along. Well, you, you got a better idea, Josh? Yeah, I do. Don't be so wishy-washy. <laughs> Stick to your guns. Stick to your guns, regardless what other people think, regardless who they are. But you can't be serious. Well, look, look, look. I mean, I, I totally agree that you should take time and care making up your mind on something, right? And, and, and while you're doing that, you should weigh all the evidence you can get your hands on. And sure, that's going to involve exposing yourself to different points of view. Well, exactly. We're on the same page then. But, but once you've made up your mind, then you can't go around changing it every time somebody disagrees with you. Wait a minute, Josh. Wait, 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 wait a minute. Suppose somebody takes just as much time and care as you did, maybe even more time and care. And they come to a different conclusion. I mean, come on, even you, Josh, shouldn't you give at least that give you at least a little bit of pause? There's always going to be people who disagree. I, I just don't think you can give in to them. I mean, look, if you start down that path, where's it going to stop? Oh, Josh, but if you're so, I don't know, intellectually stubborn that you never listen to anybody who disagrees with you, you're going to get stuck in a rut of falsehood, I think. And if you're so intellectually wishy-washy that you always listen to those who disagree, you'll never have any convictions. Oh, Josh, you know, I think we've gotten ourselves into something of a pickle here. Well, I know just the person to help us. That would be our roving philosophical reporter. Liza Veal. We sent her out to investigate an intense disagreement sparked by a philosophy article of all things, an article that turned out to be anything but academic. She files this report. You may remember when Rachel Dolezal was in the news, a white woman who manipulated her appearance to pass as African-American for years. You might also remember another controversy in the wake of the outrage and ridicule over Dolezal. Here's what happened. A philosophy professor named Rebecca Tubell wrote an article for a feminist philosophy journal, questioning why someone like Dolezal can't legitimately identify with a race other than her biological one when we defend transgender people's identification with a gender different from the one assigned to them at birth. Jesse Singal wrote about the controversy for the New York Times Magazine. The article was met with a really fierce backlash from you know, a combination of folks who saw themselves as advocating for trans people, uh, including plenty of trans scholars themselves, as well as those who were offended that she would come anywhere close to defending transracialism. And the journal ended up basically publishing an apology, which is incredibly unusual. Singal says there were two categories of critiques. Some academics attributed what they saw as errors in Tuvel's scholarship to the fact that the field of philosophy is so homogenous and its methodology is so insular that it ignores racial and gender theorists who are not strictly philosophers. In his article, Singal contends with some of these arguments. But then there's the response from the general public. There were sort of more difficult to adjudicate claims about who should be writing about who and about 
whether a cis woman should be wading into this area at all. Um, those were sort of claims about identity and who's allowed to write what. Within hours of publication, the author of the article, Rebecca Tubell, heard the news that it was causing a dust-up. She got an email from a colleague advising her to retract the article. Here's Tubell herself. And at that point, I went online and you know, saw the conversation surrounding my piece and you know, fellow feminists calling me a, a Becky and you know, I was being accused of epistemic violence and transmisogynistic violence. If you're unfamiliar with those terms, calling someone a Becky is like calling them a stupid, ignorant, you know, white girl. And it, it is a gendered term. And epistemic violence means harming people through discourse. Epistemology is about knowledge. In this case, the potential harm is in delegitimizing trans identities by associating them with something widely ridiculed, like transracialism. Or it's in disrespecting the lived experiences of non-white people by speculating that someone white could legitimately identify the same way they do. Real people live in these identities, the definitions of which Tubell was contesting. I absolutely was convinced that I had done something terrible in writing this article, and I felt humiliated and, and ashamed and all the kinds of feelings that go along with you know, a group of respected people telling you that you've done something really terrible. But to Jesse Singal, the New York Times Magazine reporter, Tubell was being unfairly punished. Whether her argument needed to be refined or not, he didn't believe the line of inquiry itself was a non-starter. He felt like, instead of being intellectually humble, her opponents immediately wrote it off as beyond the pale. These battle lines were drawn, and the perception was the only people who could possibly defend this article were transphobic, and the only people who would attack the article are, are pro-trans and progressive and good. Singal says there was an idea that the article's very existence caused harm, and therefore Tubell as a person was beyond the bounds of respectful, good-faith disagreement. I was quite shocked, in fact, to see fellow feminist colleagues and fellow philosophers engaging in the personal attacks against me. The deluge of social media attacks took a while to recover from, but she's doubling down on the question of transracialism and writing a book about it now. She says ideas like these shouldn't be outright condemned. They should be dealt with. Because we need to be able to articulate you know, what we think is mistaken about them, right? That it's really important that we discuss the strongest arguments on multiple sides of an issue. The problem is, Tuvel and Singal both agree that there are areas of discourse that are beyond dignifying with civilized debate. Singal gives the example of eugenics, or the pseudoscientific idea that there's a biological racial hierarchy. He says, that's something we can draw a circle around and not seriously engage, but... I think we want to draw those circles as small as possible. Just because these sorts of claims are made by people who claim to speak for marginalized groups, I, I still think we should be skeptical of them, except in cases where they are so clearly harmful and so clearly wrong. And in this case, I don't think Tuval's paper was either, you know, that we should just exclude them right off the bat. But that's a line drawn by somebody who's not in harm's way. On one side of the line, there's discourse worth taking seriously, and on the other side, there's a slippery slope to a dangerous idea. On one side, intellectual humility is a virtue, and on the other side, it's unscrupulous. For Philosophy Talk, I'm Liza Veal. You can listen to the rest of this episode by purchasing it on iTunes Music. Or for unlimited listening, subscribe to our archive at philosophytalk.org.